This podcast is part of the Christian Geek Central Network at ChristianGeekCentral.com. Hello, and welcome to the Self-Inflicted Problems Theology Gaming Podcast. With me today are two special guests. I'm Joshua Caller. Who's not a poop head. <laughs> I am not a turd. And that would be Ted. And this is Ted Loring, who I'm not going to stand under Zachary Oliver's tyranny any longer. But I'm the owner and proprietor of the Theology Gaming Blog. You're practically a dictator, bossing no. us around. No, I'm friendly. And to prove that he's not not a jerk, I am going to suddenly take away his reins and see if he throws a temper tantrum. No! <laughs> today, we are going... Today is not actually the Self-Inflicted Problems podcast because we do not want to talk about self-inflicted pro- problems. We want to talk about Jesus. <laughs> and, and we want to talk about how our interaction with Jesus has actually directly interfaced with games. So for today, the question that I have for our uh, members of this podcast and for you listeners at home or in your car is what has been your spiritual formation in relationship to games? And to illustrate this, I know that might sound like a weird question, um, but for me, I'll start and go first. Is that cool with you guys? Yes, you may start and go first. (laughs) It's okay okay with you, Supreme Leader. Uh, yes, I am the Supreme Leader for the next 45 minutes. Temporary Supreme Leader. I approve. Okay, good. So, uh, yeah, for me, my spiritual formation and relationship to games starts, you know, like like most of ours, start playing games as a kid. But the, the, the thing was, when I was started to really fall in love with Jesus and get into, like, the Holy Spirit and, like, I just had a spiritual transformation around the time I was 21 and I kind of was like, I don't know that games really fit into this right i feel like i need to put off games for a while so i did and then i didn't real and it was one of those like tensions for me is like are games bad are games not bad what do i do and it was one of those things where i would like you know just kind of binge and purge you know here's here's a time where i'm playing games for a whole you know it's thanksgiving break i'm just going to play through the, the entirety of uh the new prince of persia game or whatever it was, it was just like a, a really weird bad hat it felt like a weird bad habit and that games were bad up until and it was just something that I would do, and I couldn't stop. Uh, up until a point where I played Journey for the first time, and I realized suddenly that there's this spiritual intersection of uh, life and games, and games are actually like kind of growing up quite a bit, um, and they're doing things that that start to very clearly, tangibly intersect with my own spiritual formation, or at least it felt like that to me. And very shortly after that, I I started to really just kind of like process and pray about like, how are games related to what God's doing already in my life and has been doing for the past several years as I've tried to push games away? Because for me, games were Bioware and uh, Call of Duty and, you know, that that was what games were. They were violent and they were about conquest and power. Um, And then Journey comes along and is not about conquest and power, but it's about pilgrimage. Um, So... It changed, it changed my perception quite a bit. Then I, I really, really got into indie games and writing about indie games. And I just couldn't stop. I, I played Braid and all sorts of stuff like that. And then I found Game Church. And moreover, I found Zachary Oliver. Aww. Aww. <laughs> As you can see my smile right now, I am positively beaming. Yeah, that's true. He, I, I would use the word glowing, but... Um... <laughs> Oh, no one, no one sees him framing his face with his hands right now. This is good. Um, <laughs> oh, but, but yeah, no, seriously, like I, I found Zach and Zach had actually just started his theology gaming blog and I 
realized, like, I didn't understand what the snot he was talking about most <laughs> of the time. Like, I really, really didn't. Like, I, I, yeah. I didn't come from a theology background. I came from, like, a charismatic uh, discipleship training school, and we're all about practical stuff, but we don't necessarily get in, in deep theology. And all that was kind of, like, left for me to figure out. So I, did, I wasn't quite able to catch up with the academic side. Um, but none of that mattered because I found someone else who was also engaging with games in a unique way. And at first it was all like, what games thematically deal with spiritual things and, you know, nonviolence or at least non-lethality in the case of something like Deus Ex. Um, so I, I started to write about that sort of thing. And as I got to know Zach more, um, I realized that there's, there might be actual value to games on a sheer mechanical level, um, and so, so my, my, my journey in faith, faith journey in relationship to games has been much more about understanding and listening uh, to the, the culture of, of, of games, or rather not necessarily the culture, but listening to other people who are in the faith dialogue around games and people who are outside of that looking into the faith culture. Um, does that make sense or am I being too abstract right now? Uh, no, I think it's pretty clear. Okay. Yeah, just because yeah, people, you, yeah, people, <laughs> people who play video games and people who are Christians, and how we talk about video games, which isn't a lot of talking. <laughs> right. There's not a super. Uh, there's not a super ton, but there's 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 increasingly more. And then I started to notice around the, around the time that I started writing for Game Church shortly after that, I realized that people outside of the the, the Christian community were a lot more curious about people from faith perspectives, and I started to notice, like, uh, Ben Kuchera from, uh, back then it was the, the Penny Arcade Report, but I noticed that he was, he, he would pick up some of our, our Game Church articles and was really interested in, in what, what we were doing. And many other people throughout the, the, the gaming community who aren't Christians were still very, very intrigued by, uh, the intersection of faith and games. Um, so that, 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 that has really motivated me a lot to see this a lot like a, as a different form of outreach, quote unquote, than a um, you know, let's go and tell people about Jesus. It's much more about like testimonies and our personal stories and how we we as people relate to um, others. And I, I find that to be much more valuable than you know, let's go preach the gospel while we're playing Call of Duty or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> which, which you could do in multiplayer. That's true. It's yeah. it's 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 also another form of trolling. I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also breaking their concentration. <laughs> do you know about Jesus? What are you talking about? Ah! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, someone someone who's obviously 12 years old is using the worst language you've ever heard. Yeah, have you heard about Jesus? What are you talking about? Boom, headshot. Now you heard yeah. about Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, that, that, talk about a uh, ludonarrative dissonance, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But um, yeah, so that, that that's kind of like my story. I try to keep it short, but I, I went a little too longer. But um, Ted, what, what has been your your journey from uh, in, into this intersection of your faith and games? Well, as the senior member of this podcast, <laughs> I remember back when I was a boy when there was only six channels to watch on TV. And I went down to my friend Robbie Foster's house, and he had this thing called an Atari. <laughs> uh, he really did, though. That was one of my early encounters with video games. 
And I was fascinated by this Atari. I We had a Pong box at our house, and Pong is just, it's fun, but, you know, it's Pong. It's back yeah. and forth, it's hitting a yeah. ball. And here was this a friend of mine who, and I can still see that Atari sitting on the floor, and their console, you know, made of wood TV that was, you know, they sat on the floor back then, uh, <laughs> with with combat on and asteroids, Yars Revenge, and it just seemed like this magical wonder that you could take this cartridge that had a game on it and put it in there, and something different would come up every time. It wasn't just the same thing every time you turned on the machine. So I had a friend with the Atari. I had another friend that had a ColecoVision. So I pretty much had friends that had games and would hang out there at their houses a lot. And also there was somebody that had a Bally Astrocade. And boy, as a collector, if I could get my hands on a Bally Astrocade. I have no idea what that is. It's an early cartridge-based system that was even more primitive than Atari, basically. It had simple games like bowling and tic-tac-toe and uh, hangman and stuff like that. (laughs) So there was, I think for me, a a sense of wonder that video games had in me. Now, I had a a bit of a church background growing up, going to a a Methodist church. It was was kind of more of a a nominal Methodist church in terms of uh, faith and and the gospel message. Uh, I heard a lot about Jesus. I just never really connected the dots with what... Jesus meant to me in, in my life. Uh, it wasn't until I, I was a teenager later on and uh, and came to faith. So games were always sort of something that you did, but the games that were being made could not really make you think or be touched on an emotional level, you know? Even if well, they were, were like Noah's, Noah's Ark for NES or whatever. Yes, that... I or, uh, what, what, what was that, that called? Bible, Bible Adventures. Bible the first Adventures, Bible Adventures, yeah. You say the word Bible Adventures and you summon the dogs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, they're coming for the cartridge. They're coming for you. The, the, that's that's one of the, the hidden minigames inside of uh, Bible Adventures. It's uh, The theme is the, the death of Jezebel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ted's muting because the dogs... Yeah, the dogs. The dogs. <laughs> but uh, hopefully, sure hopefully the uh, the dogs will will sleep or be watched. Um, Keep the hounds of hell at bay. <laughs> we we need to play right, sleeping dogs right now. I don't know what happened, but the whole house erupted. <laughs> Apparently, I was in great danger, but I'm safe because of two huge German shepherds. <laughs> Gandalf. I I was talking about. Games and wonder, yes, and and then coming to Christ in my teenage years, going to a, a summer camp is where I, I I started to follow Jesus with a with a real interest, and then around eighteen is when I I made a commitment of really of my life, not just sort of like I gave my heart to Jesus like I did when I was younger. Around eighteen, nineteen years old, I started to really just think about the impact of what it would mean to truly follow Christ my whole life. And around that time was the late 80s, mid to late 80s, so Nintendo was starting to come into play. Uh, But games were something that that were just always there, not really intersecting very much. I do remember a college roommate having a Commodore 64 and playing a lot of arcade-based type games on the Commodore 64. But when I really started to realize that video games can have a connection to relationship with people and 
and a sharing of faith was after graduating from Bible college, I went to work at a children's home. It was a church-run children's home in North Carolina. And I was a social worker there with a caseload of uh, almost 30 kids. It, it was it was a lot of children that I had to interact with. At each cottage where the kids lived, there's about 10 kids per cottage, there was usually a Nintendo system there. And what I have found as, as a social worker and as a, as a children's minister, that talking about video games was like instant credibility and instant connection, that if I at least knew about a game and a kid would open up to me if they knew more about the game than I did and I expressed interest in what the kid was was saying, it just seemed like they would really open up and there was a connection there. And believe me, when you're dealing with the children who have been through emotional, physical, even sexual abuse, you want them to be able to connect in the right way yeah. with a grown-up. And I found that video games were a good way for that to happen. That's so, awesome. So I did spend, and there were some times, too, when I had to be a substitute house parent. So I would go to a, a cottage and stay overnight with the, with, the, with the kids. And, of course, they always loved it when I came, especially if it was a weekend, because it's, it's, it was a neat experience to have 10 boys sitting around a TV playing Nintendo. And you had to share the Nintendo, so you tried to play games that you could, I mean, you couldn't do some of the longer story-based games. You had to play some that were just about, about gameplay. Blades of Steel. <laughs> yes. Or, or Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I remember that being oh, a Oh, man, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I think, was it the second Double Dragon where you could actually do two-player? Anything that you could do is two players at a time or yeah, more yeah. Yeah. Was, was something that you wanted to try to do. But there was a Back real sense we of... we even had the word co-op. Yes, exactly. It was. It was co-op before it was cool. And I just remember how blazingly difficult some of these games were. I mean, this was an era of, of game design that almost seemed cruel at times. Yeah. But yet uh, these kids would, you know, we'd still play the games. I just remember this sense of community about it. And those are good memories. And I've actually, through Facebook, had some of the uh, kids that I used to know back then that are now grown up and ha- have great lives and families of their own and that sort of thing. They look back at that time with me with fondness, you know, with yeah. something good that happened in your life. And I think video games were part of that. I didn't realize, Ted, you had the first game cell. Yeah. <laughs> you preempted Josh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> by, by about, cell, by, I, I, cool. I was still in diapers while you were doing that. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then I sort of, uh, you know, went away from it. I went away from the ministry. Uh, I went through a divorce and I didn't feel like, God had been fair to me, so I left being involved in, in full-time ministry. So during that time, again, would be late Super Nintendo, Nintendo 64, PlayStation era. So I did play a lot of those games. I had a job where I traveled, and I bought a PlayStation 1 with the built-in screen. I posted a picture of it recently on yeah, yeah, Facebook. Yeah. But that was something that I bought in the 90s to travel, you know, to turn on and play in a hotel room. But that games were not any kind of spiritual thing for me at that point. But what brought things coming back to me to make some more sense or realizing that it was intersecting was uh, going back to seminary, which I'm still going. And I just realized 
you know, in theology, the, there's so many subjects that you can talk about, and they're usually deep. You know, it's really hard to, to skim along the surface of, of theology as a subject. But I did start to notice, as you mentioned, Josh, that games are, t- they started to change. They started to have something to say. They started to have a depth in their design and gameplay that, not that it didn't exist in the, especially in the Nintendo era, there were some some games that really did make you think, but there there became a more of a spiritual dimension, I think, to games in the, I'm maybe the from the mid '90s onward. That's just yeah. my theory. Cool. So hmm. I started to, you know, I put WildmanTed.com. That was actually up once, just as a uh, children's ministry type site, so that people could go to that and get information, so they could book me to to go visit their children's church. And I changed it a couple years ago to talking more about video games and theology, and that's how Zachary and I became friends somehow or another just through that uh but i went to your site and i was like oh my goodness i'm not alone here i I really thought i was just this wanderer in the night with this interest and what zachary has done is created this community i think for us to do that and there's so many of us it's tremendous yeah yeah Yeah. so for me i guess the deal the deal of it all for video games for me and, and as far as having a testimony is the sense of wonder that video games can produce in you and also how they can actually aid in in relationship and connection with people. Yeah, that's really good. That's awesome. Huh. Cool. And I give it two wolves up. <laughs> two <laughs> thumbs up. Two two wolves up. Video games. Two wolves. Up. <laughs> All right, Zach. How about you? Uh, okay, so I'm weird. <laughs> all right, all right. You're not allowed to say you're weird. That's telling. You have to show. Okay. <laughs> Showing through dialogue. Yes, yes. Okay. So. <laughs> you can't I, do that. Yeah, I'm doing tell, it right now. T- okay. Tell me Tell me a picture. <laughs> okay. So my parents became Christians around like, uh, I want to say, or at least hardcore Christians, late 80s. And I was I born... Can't. In 1987. So, basically, I've had a kind of separate video game life and church life for most of my existence on Earth. (laughs) Because churches are not necessarily pro-video games. At any time, shape, or form, doesn't matter. Nerdy things in general. I mean, it started with Dungeons & Dragons or whatever, right? And it's probably gone farther back than that. So... In terms of churches and video games, they remain separate. Sort of like the separation of church and state in whatever kind of field you want to think about. Now, as for me, I'm playing video games at the same time that I'm learning about Jesus Christ and God and Bible and whatever. So, naturally, the two things are just going to intermingle in a young mind because that's just how people's brains work. So, (laughs) So, a lot of the time, I'm like, oh, I'm playing Mario, and then I'm you know, I'm learning about Jesus, and it's kind of this weird mixture of things. So this is the, part the of first time that you hear about the rapture. You're you're going through a Chrono Trigger, yeah, or that kind of thing. You know, <laughs> yeah, of being afraid of Lavos <laughs> at the same time they hear about the rapture. Not exactly the greatest combination of things in the world to be thinking about, but yeah. that's and just your parents how never had trouble with with video games. Yeah, I mean, my they... parents didn't have any problems with video games. My I was playing Mortal Kombat when I was super young, 
And they didn't have any problems with it. So, you know, I continued to play it because they always made sure to tell me that there's a difference between uh, what's on screen and what's reality. Yeah. You know, you're always making that distinction, right? My brother likes to rip my head off in the game. Doesn't happen in real life. <laughs> yeah. It's not possible for you to rip someone out and have their spinal column dangling before you. No, nor did I bother trying. Yeah. <laughs> Strangely and, enough. And I think that's the key point. <laughs> I never tried to kill anybody outside of a video game. And I also have problems killing bugs now. So <laughs> I had I was painting my house the other day and a wasp flew by my head and I almost killed myself falling off a ladder trying to avoid <laughs> killing it. So <laughs> let me tell you there so in terms of there being a distinction between video games and Christianity. That's there's always been that divide. And especially when I brought friends over, you know, I, I'm not really got a testimony story because I've just kind of been a Christian forever. I know that's kind of unexciting, right? No, that's but, fine. No, but I think that's <laughs> no, 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 no. I ha- I had a I have a buddy who's a pastor and he he uh he has the classic uh Coke coke dealer story um and he he's always like you know no 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 no. i wish that i had a boring testimony or or quote-unquote boring testimony because that's like yeah a testimony (laughs) of faithfulness and and evangelical churches tend to emphasize like the testimony right the 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 trans the the change story is and i I just love a classic coke dealer testimony story though (laughs) (laughs) i have not had the magical transformation story because i've always been this way so it's not like yeah yeah So no big exciting thing there. But in terms of getting other people who I know who are Christians to play video games, that proved to be a tougher challenge. (laughs) How so? So uh, I basically, you know, I started making friends at school and that sort of thing. So when they come over, it's like, you know, what's my favorite hobby? Video games, right? So I get one of my friends to play Star Fox. And he's never played, like, any video games before. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. that's going to be a weird first thing to introduce somebody to. Yeah, but he was, like, totally obsessed. We just played it all day, you know, totally wired on whatever kind of sugary products there was going to be wired on back yeah. then. And then, yeah. basically, we sent him home, and then his mother came and said, you can't let him play video games anymore coming over to my house. He came home, his eyes were like saucers. <laughs> 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 he just couldn't stop talking about video games. So, and then Pokemon came along. And oh I yeah, evangelized everybody in my Christian school about Pokemon, which ended up being a poor decision for the school leadership. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> trying to deal with a massive influx of people either using Game Boys or trading Pokemon cards. Yeah, that's so, going to be a big deal. Yeah, and as far as I know, they were not thought to be evil or demonic. If they were just sort of distractions. Yeah, and I'm sure a lot of people thought that, but. That's how it always has gone. Yeah, Video yeah, games have yeah. always been kind of this like thing that is out there, but we don't really care about because it hinders spiritual formation like a lot of other things. You know, any kind of, you know, alcohol, whatever. Yeah, doesn't that's, matter. That's, that's the popular, the, the popular um, and, 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 and perhaps self-inflicted in some ways because like, I, I think for me it was one of those things where it's like, I, I think I revered video games the same way most people do, like alcohol and pornography. Um, in that same sense, like I can't stop. I just want. I just want to. You know, that sort of thing. But it was real. It was really a lot more about. Um, it really is a lot more about the, the the kind of connection and maturing past. You know, moderation and liberty. You know, it's like you understand what something is, and you you don't 
always do it when you're alone by yourself and suddenly it doesn't become a, a, a life controlling mechanism anymore. Yeah. My, my parents <laughs> were always playing video games with me and, you know, yeah. friends were playing video games and family, that sort of thing. So it's never been like a, like my solo activity. And, and, that, and that's been, that's a really big deal that your that your parents like involved you like that they were involved in playing games with you. That's like really really important and, and rare. Yeah, and over time it kind of became like my thing. Yeah, to play video games, but you know I was originally playing them as a group activity because my brother right, played right. a ton of video mm-hmm. games too. So it's always been two people at the very least. You and your brother be- player stuff played through Mega Man two together. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, a ton. I've been thinking, trying to think why I didn't have games in my own house. Hmm. And I think part of the reason is because my father worked for IBM and he had a PC and it was about work. It wasn't necessarily about fun or doing something to to play on it. And um, my mom just, that was, she liked games, but she didn't really, I mean, she loves video games now. Uh, playing your match three type games uh, online for hours, but it was never a, a part of my home. I always went somewhere else to do it. I would have been the kid over at Zachary Oliver's house, probably <laughs> saying, "Come on, we got to put in that Star Fox." Star Fox saucer eyes. But I don't think my parents had any problems with it. It just wasn't something that I guess if I wanted them to be in my house, I was going to have to purchase them on my own, and and never did. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so so basically video games are my hobby most of the time i mean yeah. even in terms of good grades and stuff my parents were like reinforcing me playing video games because i would go well what's the reward for getting good grades and basically it was like you get a brand new game if you do well in your report card and yeah. that was enough of a motivating factor for me to continue doing well at school and also you know, playing video games. And this continued up and through college, and then eventually when I started uh, in doing my theological studies degree at Merrimack, and I was still playing video games. Still playing yeah, video and your games. parents were still giving you video games for getting good grades. Oh, no, not in college. <laughs> <laughs> not in college. Oh, good, good job on your MDiv class, yeah. son. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. At that point, Here's we Fantasy had Fantasy Star Online. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a bad move. Uh, well, I, I ended up playing World of Warcraft. I ended up playing World of Warcraft in college, and then I hooked my parents and my brother into it. So, <laughs> so that that kind of you know good grades went out the window because we were all playing World of Warcraft <laughs> and raiding. Oh goodness! Anyway, to continue, basically, you know what? In terms of playing video games competently, like or thinking about them theologically, I have to say. The first time I thought about it explicitly and not just implicitly was around 2010 when I was about to graduate and I was like playing Bayonetta. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Bayonetta is a pretty tough game to get into for the first couple hours. And I was struggling to play it in any way that you would consider competent. And I was like, but I love Devil May Cry. And this is from the guy who made Devil May Cry. And I'm going to get through it. And I just kind of put my head down and just barreled on through it. And I found the challenge of figuring out the game's systems was the best part about Bayonetta. I mean, the aesthetics and the craziness and all that stuff. And I found that doing this and figuring out Christianity and the Bible and all this stuff were requiring about the same amount of mental effort for myself, personally. (laughs) So there was this weird 
bizarre blending of trying to mess around and understand how Christianity worked, or at least trying to explicate ideas in Christianity, and also the effort that I expelled in video games in just kind of forcing my way through challenging video games, not just like yeah. passive stuff. Because I had I played a lot of AAA games and the stuff that was coming out around that time, like Mass Effect and Bioshock, and just these games were not just doing nothing for me. And yeah. I was like, is this where video games are going? And then I sort of played Bayonetta Hardcore and got 50 hours in. And I said, well, this is the kind of game I like. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think that the difference is, is um, the, the aspect of requiring of the player a very large amount versus wanting the player to get through the experience. That uh, That is kind of like the mainstream of, of uh, AAA design. Yeah. And the thing about Bayonetta is that it ranks you after every single battle. Every yeah. pitched battle, it says, here's your rank. You either are really good or you are awful at the game. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. It has, like, this quantifiable measure of progress. So as I was playing this, I was also doing my theological studies degree, and I'm like, well, you know, I'm, I've already applied for a graduate school, so maybe at some point or another I'm going to write about video games and I'm going to write about theology at the same time now this idea didn't like pop into fruition immediately mm. i went into graduate school like thinking about this at the back of my mind and thinking about possible things i would write but not really doing much of anything with it because graduate school as you know is a little difficult <laughs> yeah 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 so you had to kind of figure out what you're doing now talk two years later about 2012 i'm not so enamored with academia I'm not exactly sure what's going to happen. I've applied for PhD programs. I'm, well, confused would be the best word to put it. <laughs> yeah. So I'm thinking, I go, well, I'm really thinking about video games and theology at this point. And I'm saying, there's got to be a way for me to write about both of these things without it seeming forced or weird. And at least because I'm pretty well versed in video games and talk about them off the top of my head, I probably have enough ideas and knowledge about video games that I won't appear like, let's say, plugged in or some other kind of Christian video gaming website. Like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not familiar with plugged in. Could you... Could, plugged in I, is like that focus on the family. Oh, like, yeah. User. Like, this game, this game, you shouldn't bring this into your home because there's there's a point where a girl wears low-cut shirt. Yeah, that sort of thing. Like that sort of, that sort of yeah. game review site. And I read their review of Bayonetta. Yeah, that's not going to go over well. And I yeah, was I like, yeah. this is the worst thing I've ever read. It's like this person didn't even play the game. And yeah, it was like they read the ESRB rating on the back of the yeah, box. Or saw a bunch of pre-release footage, and then that's where they judge the game. Not on, you know, not on the actual game itself, but the outward appearance of the game. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's uh, not exactly... And, and, and that, that makes a lot of sense from, like, a, an evangelical subculture thing, yeah, but it doesn't certainly. make any sense from, like, a... like. Like from a, a gamer perspective, yeah. yeah. From from a gamer perspective, but also from a spiritual like like what is the heart perspective? Um, yeah. Like what what is the core of this? And and trying to get and, and figure that out. And I think that that Zach is what you're what you're really saying is that like when you when you approach games, you seem to go much more after what is the 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 you focus very hard on the mechanics, but but the mechanics are what makes the game. A game, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, like that—that that makes that makes you—you you can't really divorce that. And I, and I started out maybe perhaps focusing more on the 
the narrative of games and thinking about what is the story that they're trying to tell or seeming to try to tell and that sort of thing. But there's still uh, a necessary intersection of those two. Yeah. And t- Ted used that magic word earlier, but we don't we don't say that word too much. <laughs> what was the word? What is the magic word? Ludonarrative dissonance. Oh, <laughs> ew. No. <laughs> I just threw it out there you, you, one time. You summon, you summon vomit when you say this word. Dirty words. <laughs> hey, you know what? It, it makes you sound intelligent in the right circles. Uh, it, so I thought I'd throw it in on yeah, the Theology Gaming yeah. podcast. I mean, the, the only problem is the fact that the only reason why the word exists is because people were trying to find out how do we talk about Bioshock and how, like... Eating potato what, chips yeah. off the ground. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no one actually wants to talk about eating potato chips uh, off of the ground and out of the garbage cans, but they do want to talk about how um, the environment tells the story and how the uh, the, the the end twist um, shaped their expectations and and plays yeah. off of the game. And yeah, that it all blends together relatively okay. But it yeah, and that stuff makes you sound super cultured and smart, but. Like saying you love Bayonetta and enjoy its mechanics and talking about it competently does not did not inspire in 2010 the same joy, right? And kind right. of experience in game writing. So, and, and that's yeah. also very that's also one of the things that I think is really important and fascinating about theology gaming as a as a thing is that it's about the the critical engagement of what you're already in, for lack of better words. Like where are you now and how to think critically. Um, I think is is a really really valuable um, discipleship self dis- like understanding of your own discipleship tool, and I think that that's what what maybe is something that that you've really brought out in all of us, or perhaps like the created a, a, a forum for us to discover that ourselves. Yeah, I think a key word there is critical thinking. That's that's a good way to think about it. Video games. And, and, of course, Zachary's way of thinking is, is a very critical style of thinking. He measures and evaluates. He, he kind of works things all the way through when he's thinking about something. And I think that that level of analysis, I mean, if people really did that to think about, about faith and about, again, I mentioned that there can be a cost sometimes to following Christ. You know, I think yeah. that that is a gameplay mechanic of Christianity in a sense. You know, you, <laughs> yeah, need to, yeah. you need to take the fact that there's an element of of Christianity called taking up your cross and and following Him regardless of consequences. Yeah. And so, people a lot of times sort of just skim along the top of of what it really means to follow Jesus. Yeah, I'm going I'm going to go to church this week, or maybe not. Yeah, it's pretty much the. It's pretty much the. Uh, the that's the, the extent of what of what you know. That's why Jesus came and and did all that stuff was so that you could decide whether you're going to go to church or not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it, it gets a little deeper than that when you analyze it in a, with critical thinking. Yeah, when you actually look at what Jesus said and 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 said that you know, if you're my disciples, you might you know kind of do the things that I say. Do yeah. yeah, and that's a good point too. <laughs> he, said, he said, "Mike, kinda in my in my personal kind of." Um, that's probably not actually what Jesus Florida. said. Here's yeah. here's a, something that just came to me. <laughs> Talking about Bayonetta, for example, Zachary is you have analyzed some games. You have actually gotten into them and studied them and played them and yeah. really uh, integrated them into your your thinking. And that is something that the that. Christians need to do as well, where you need to study the source of of the Bible 
in the same sort of passionate way. Don't just go by what other people say or, or you know, I read a critical review of what Christianity is, so therefore I like it or I don't like it. Uh, you have to evaluate it for yourself. And you know what? It may not be something that uh, where you are in your life, it fits. And I'm talking just generally out there to anybody that might be in the audience. But at least, you know, give it some thought. Give it some thinking. And uh, there are a lot of really intelligent people who have made the decision to uh, to believe this stuff. So um, yeah, don't think- just just don't go by the critical reviews. Uh, don't just go by the Metacritic score. Yeah, that's a really really good point. Is is actually like, and I, I've been thinking about that a lot because the when when you look at something on Metacritic you, or, or what what are most people saying about something. You can get a sense of, of what are the things that some people value in something, but you don't get to the heart of it. Like, I can think of a bunch of games that are, like, really reviewed quite poorly, like Papo and Yo. Papo and Yo had, like, uh, I think IGN gave it a four. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, and, and, and I, I honestly will n- never finish the game, but I also re- recognize that that is a game where you have to recognize it for what it is a testimony a a a kind of metaphorical testimony not quite allegory but metaphorical testimony of a guy's relationship with his abusive father who's who had sensed by the time of the game's making passed away so it was it was like does this have value in the conversation of of life games maybe even faith you know what? Anyway, I, well, there's one more thing I wanted to say. Just sure, sure, sure. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Out of my spiritual testimony, whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. we want to call this. Giddy up, giddy up. Testimony time! So, so the <laughs> other thing I wanted to do was not be a typical Christian resource for video game ideas, writing, and stuff. I think the things that I write on Theology Gaming were the things that I wanted to read about video games from a Christian perspective. Yeah. I wanted to read about, like you know video games in general a competent understanding look at video games that wasn't like a cursory just overview of whatever the video game was about but was like somebody who had some kind of level of authority just because they knew so much about the game and had played it enough to make some kind of competent judgment on it i think that's also why you like tim rogers so much because tim rogers has this this vast history with games that comes very very clearly through his writing and his divergent opinions you know he gave borderlands two like two out of five stars and he you know like there there's there's a really you know compelling story behind that um yeah even if i don't love his writing style all the time at least i know that he can make a judgment on a game and at least it's something i can actually believe and trust because he knows enough about video games to convey the ideas to me clearly and clearly enough that I get it, even if yeah. it's like ten thousand words long. And, and he, yeah, and even if he he's involving the the discussion of why he bought these these uh, stonewashed pants from a dealer on the side side of a street <laughs> corner, and how that somehow sort of relates to uh, the Last of Us, or how Suda Fifty One <laughs> gave him a pair of jeans that he wasn't using anymore. <laughs> That, that, that was actually more, more along the lines of what I was thinking because you're using a real example and I just made mine up. <laughs> hey, it's close enough. You know, it's Tim Rogers, so it could yeah, be anything. Yeah. yeah. But anyway. it's like talking about video games competently and like just dissecting right. it. It gives you a level of authority with actual video game people because that's what mm-hmm. they're thinking about a lot of the time. Or they yeah. think about the narrative thing, right? It, you know, either you're in mechanics or narrative at this point, you know. 
well, ludology th- those, those or narratology. Yeah, those are the two obvious camps, but I think it goes a little bit deeper than that. Um, but instead of discussing the theory, I want to get into the practicals now, and I think that that's actually a good a good point to bring up. What are you playing? I'm, ta- I'm talking to the listeners at home, not you guys. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I want people who are listening to be able to respond to this too, but you'll have to post on the Theology Gaming uh, Facebook group, uh, University. Theology Gaming University is what we call this, um, so post there. But Zach, what are you playing right now? And, and can you in two minutes explain what makes this fascinating to you? Uh, yeah, I totally can because <laughs> I've been thinking <laughs> about it for like two weeks. Um, I am playing the wonderful 101, and I love it. <laughs> yeah, well, explain to people what this is because, I mean, even if you see a screen grab of the game, it's it will, really manic and hard to follow what the heck is going on. It will give you zero indication of what the game is like. It is basically a combination of all of the rest of Hideki Kamiya's games in one. Like, one big stylish character action game. So think Bayonetta combined with slowdown mechanics and specific enemy dealing of Beautiful Joe, the paintbrush drawing strokes of Okami, and the exploration of said game, uh, the ratings, rankings, timing, combo system of Bayonetta. It's all kind of just mishmash in this strange, weird, isometric perspective, controlling 100 people at once, crazy action game, which makes zero sense and shouldn't work. But absolutely does. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually a really good, really good synopsis, and I'm glad that you illustrated why you know it borrows from each yeah. of those other games. And also, I hated it for the first five hours, and I, I'm there are definitely problems with it, and I will say that straightforwardly. But I would not give it any less than a perfect rating. Huh? That's interesting. I didn't give it enough time then. Yeah. Did you yeah. okay, Ted? Did you play it on normal? I don't know what I played it on. I played the demo. I downloaded the uh, demo yeah. on my Wii U, that which everyone, I think started me at the beginning of the game. Everyone tells me the demo is awful. Yeah, I, I saw I saw the demo at, at PAX when we were there, um, there at PAX East. Yeah. But the, the the thing that, that – it was just like I'm watching the game being played and I have no idea what's going on. Yeah, it's super awful at teaching you how to play. I, I, I will fully admit this yeah. because the instruction booklet is not included with the game. It's actually on the disc. And you have to go into the options and read it from there. And it, like, oh, wow. Yeah. And also, if you Google online, Nintendo of Europe has the manual in a PDF. That's, that's I needed weird. that. Yeah, I needed that to figure out how to play. But once I, once I had a grasp on how the game was actually supposed to be played rather than how I wanted it to play, it yeah. ended up, like, clicking. And it was just, like... Well, super awesome sometimes that's sometimes that's actually what really makes games fun is when you you get so into them that you have to investigate and it's this esoteric weird i have to read the manual in in portuguese or something to figure out <laughs> oh yeah it's super dense yeah it's, and i could see why video game reviewers were like kind of mixed yeah yeah, on whether yeah. Or not it was a good game but it's not the kind of game you play through once and kind of figure it out yeah even after i finish i th- i'd say about like two-thirds of the way through, I had finally got it. Yeah. And I was playing in a way that the game wanted me to play it. <laughs> and when you, How many times have you played through it now? I'm in more than halfway through hard mode right now. So that's the third playthrough? No, second. Second, okay. In this one, there's uh, normal hard and 101% hard. Oh, okay. And when you draw things in the earlier two modes, there's the uh, slowdown 
so you can draw mm-hmm. accurately. And one on one percent hard, there's no slowdown, so you have to draw yeah. everything real time. Oh wow! Also, don't actually draw it with the gamepad. Use analog stick. Okay. Use the the pro controller. Is that what you mean? Or? Yeah, I use the Wii. What do you call it? I use the Wii Classic controller. Well, that Classic makes a lot of sense. Huh. That makes a lot of sense for drawing because I remember Okami for Wii. I couldn't even draw at all when you have to draw something. I I had to go back to the or I, I when I finally played Okami again, I had to use the sticks because the sticks are actually more accurate than than drawing on screen in terms of the the game reading what you're what you're drawing. Wait, yeah, you, it was kind of broken on the Wii. Wait, you can use the uh, you can use the classic controller on the Okami for Wii. No, no, I'm uh, talking about when I finally played it again later because I, I I threw the the controller down for Okami on Wii. <laughs> I, I did. I love like like Okami was one, like my favorite my favorite PS2 game, and and I I mean I only played halfway through the game and I still have only played halfway through the game each of the three times that I played it, but it's it's one of the like it's just a crazy long game like you, you you think you're beating it and suddenly you're like oh no you're you're maybe halfway. <laughs> um, yeah, I've heard it has weird pacing. The pacing is wacky, but the the, the those that that was my experience anyway. Not neither here nor there. Just to say that um, I understand the the. Uh, Video game systems aren't always the greatest at reading player drawings as a form of, of yeah. control. Actually, this one's really good at it. It's just that it it really kind of messes with the flow. Yeah, of playing the game and it's only really useful for a couple shapes. The rest you can draw with the right analog stick. It's really strange that you huh. can do that. If you want to play like the game's meant to be played, you know, fast paced action, you got to learn how to draw with the right analog stick. Yeah, yeah, understood. And Ted, I, I'm telling you. Buy it and play it on a lower difficulty level, if not just for the experience of how crazy it gets. Super crazy. It was so hype. The ending is, like, insane. (laughs) I'll have to pick it up and give it a try. You know, I do give things a try that you say are worth doing. And I'm just going to interject because I've got about five minutes before I have to start uh, the roll. So (laughs) I have... uh, I, I of course started playing Dark Souls because Zachary was talking about it, talking about it, talking about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I yeah. also recently uh, went ahead and purchased Metal Gear Solid for the PlayStation One. In that sound right? Have you gotten right past the first room? Oh yes, yes. Do you? I definitely have. Okay, I'm I, not going to spoil anything, but do you like it? Hmm. I I don't know yet. It's a, it's an old game. Yeah, and there were some things that I would say have been perfected more probably in modern games that uh, oh, yeah. I tolerated back then. It's hard to tolerate. Uh, I did a boss fight with him and and defeated him on the first try. Oh, so. revolver ocelot, yeah, 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 revolver ocelot. The that's it. So, so that's where I am, which is probably uh, about forty five minutes into the game for yeah. most people. Basically, but it's about ninety gets, minutes for me. The game basically gets super easy from this point if you're paying attention. Like yeah. you got past yeah. the worst stealth room in the whole game. Yeah, the the hardest the hardest way um, building progress past the first room is is I remember I played that in the demo for the game like twenty times before I was able to beat it. <laughs> yeah, it can get a little frustrating, a little bit maddening, but I'm still. Sometimes you just you can't just give up on stuff. So I I am that's something that I'm doing kind of at home on my PlayStation One with a built in screen. I I just set it up and, and try to play it a little bit. I am still I have not done Dark Souls the for about the past week, but I I'm not done with it. I just haven't quite had the the time <laughs> to do it. Um also just I thought this was interesting is uh I did go back to Tomb Raider Definitive Edition on the Xbox One and 
Wow. I, for the first time, I think in my life, did a 100% completion to that game. I went oh. back and found every object, every bird egg, everything that needed to be burned, every every element. So I actually played that game to completion. Now, I didn't wow. get so, every achievement, but... Yeah. So you did you did the collectathon. The collectathon. I got it got, it got Donkey Kong sixty four style. <laughs> it was fun. It was fun to do and it was one of those things where you could do it for a little bit and put it down, which is a big yeah. part of how I play games. I did have to use the internet to get some of the more obscure things yeah. that were out there. So, but that was fun. And then yeah. the last thing that Just I... Just like this, because I had to get the guide for the wonderful 101. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Zach is holding a, a uh, two-inch thick guide to wonderful 101. Yeah, because I that wanted is... all the collectibles, and uh, I have to oh, I have to do it in order to actually unlock everything. So, it's going to take me forever. But <laughs> So, you looked uh, up stuff on the internet. The last thing Thanks. that I have never played before that I am playing is a somewhat older game, but it's... Uh, Mario Galaxy. I'd never played it before, and I picked it up pretty cheap at a game store, hmm. and it's fun. I mean, it's a yeah. well-made game. How do you mechanics like it? Are solid. Have you played Mario Super Mario Sunshine? Yes, but not to completion. But, Did you play but yes. Super Mario 64? Yes, but not to completion. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you saying that? You're just destroying your own credibility. So that I can say I'm playing Super Mario Galaxy, probably not to completion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I only I only played that till I I, I beat it on a with with a minimum number of stars or whatever they yeah. were called. Yeah, uh, that happened to me too. I think I played it to the minimum, and that was it. Yeah. I, I don't know. The Galaxy didn't do it for me. <laughs> I, I I thought I it was really it. really really compelling, um, but maybe not something that I wanted to last. You know, I didn't want to stick around for 120 stars or whatever. Yeah. I've never been able to do that kind of stuff. And 64 version to me was hard. To, that was early 3D games. Camera control was, was a bit of a challenge. And I'm really not very good with the Z-axis, as my son has told me. <laughs> uh, I'm better on platforming that is your more straight side-scrolling up and down, whereas this is one where you're going around a revolving ball. So it's yeah. hard to intuitively for me to know which direction to go. And that frustrates me on some platforming. So I could see myself not finishing this game, but it is fun, and I got it uh, for about ten bucks. Which to get a uh, a first party Nintendo game used nowadays for under thirty, it seems like yeah, it's yeah, a good deal. So. Yeah, it's, it's rare to get any game with Mario in the title for under like ten dollars less than the that originally retailed. Like <laughs> it's true, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's it's strange. Mario Sports Mix is my pers- the bane of my existence and my Wii library. <laughs> It's I don't so even know. Bad. I don't even know what that is. It's it's basically a combination of three sports games with Nintendo characters and Square Enix stuff for no reason. Okay, gentlemen, Ted. I do have to depart. I have to take the dogs to the vet for this barking issue. No, no, for just the regular scheduled stuff. But uh, I love you guys. I appreciate uh, everything that you guys have been in my life, and you guys are part of my testimony now. Aww. <laughs> love, you. love you, Ted. Love you, Ted. Bye. Bye-bye. We're all waving. <laughs> He's gone. Let's talk bad things about him now. Yeah, let's let's talk about his his terrible use of the of of puns. <laughs> which which haven't actually happened. Uh, <laughs> all right, I should talk about Mario Sports Mix now. Okay. Yeah. So it's basically sports games that aren't already Nintendo sports games like basketball and volleyball and that kind uh-huh. of thing. 
except this one was developed by Square Enix for some reason. That's really weird. And so it contains Mario characters and a couple Final Fantasy ones for no reason other than, you know, because. They and can. I can only find it for $40 or more. Is it? Is it... Have people liked it? It's not particularly great. That's why it's yeah. confusing. Well, and and that and that's. I mean, that's why I, ha- I guess I haven't heard of it. I mean, is it only on on Wii? When did it come out? Like two thousand eight? Uh, I think it came out twenty uh, eleven. Okay. Huh. Yeah, it's like thirty to forty dollars consistently. Yeah, that's really weird. Less. I don't know. That's like the one first party mm-hmm. game on the Wii that I don't own. Yeah. Well, that's pseudo first party. Yeah. With a with Square Enix, um, but yeah. Anyway, um, okay. If I share games that I've been playing, yes, go just ahead. Two, just two. There's only two that I that I really want to talk about. Number one is uh, Crypt of the Necrodancer. Mm. Um, just it came out. Yeah, uh, yeah <laughs> it came out on um, uh, Steam Early Access, and I'm like, wait, you know, this game's been in development for a while, and they're, they're going to do Steam Early Access. It doesn't. It seems like I thought it was way more done than than Early Access. Um, and and the only thing about it that seems skimpy or or unfinished to my first perception is the uh, is is the the some of the art feels a little uh, unfinished. Um, but besides that, it's it's like a really really robust roguelike with dance. Uh, I mean, like you, you like uh, it, okay, you, you, it comes with you know it's designed to be played with arrow keys or with uh, the the face buttons on a controller. Um, but everybody in the game is dancing and you know, the, 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 the enemy skeletons are bobbing up and down and they're, they're kind of like you, you hit them and their head falls off and then they put their arms up in the air and they're like dancing without a head. And, you know, like there's, <laughs> there's a, but, but it's, it's got a, it's a very traditional style roguelike past that. So it's all about, um, one-to-one tactics. So you move, when you move, the enemies move. And you're constantly moving within within the timing of the beat. So the beat keeps the movement. Uh, most roguelikes are very like patient and thoughtful, and you only move when you really want to move. But this is one where the, the the beat of the music and the incentive of monetary gain keeps that keeps everything moving. Because if you stop, you lose your multiplier. So you stop. You don't gain as many coins. Huh. Um, but the the uh, I the like charm, that timing is involved in this. Yeah, timing is absolutely essential. Um, but but the the music has enough bass that you're just kind of like you feel it you know you just you just feel it and then and then all and then while you're you're going through and you know the the song starts to really pick up and then and then all of a sudden the like the, the, there's the crescendo and and then you, you just offside the screen is where the shopkeeper is and he starts belting and singing along with a song. <laughs> and you're like yeah this guy knows what it this guy knows what it's all about um, and. <laughs> It, it just plays like a very traditional one-to-one turn roguelike past that, but there's very, very thoughtful, processed, figured out elements of, um, you know, th- th- there's lots of item variety, there's lots of enemy ver- variation, um, and the game is very, very challenging, in, in, like, like most traditional roguelikes are, like my runs only even last, like I haven't even gotten past the third stage yet, and, sta- and, and stages only last as long as a song, so like the longest run that I've had has been maybe 15 minutes. Um, and so it's very, very quick and very short, but um, the one thing that I think is worth noting about it is that it's the first game that has ever made me want a DDR dance pad. <laughs> Not even DDR made you want a DDR dance pad? No way. No, DDR is dumb. All you do is you press <laughs> buttons at the right time. 
It was like, so good. It's so no, good. I, all right. So that's the, the, the rhythm games are traditionally the thing. They're, they're the bane of my um, agency mindset. I want to choose where to go, and I want to have say of what happens in the game. And 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 in most most rhythm games, you're just fulfilling your obligation. <laughs> huh. And, I guess that's and, an interesting way to look at it. In Crypt of the Necrodancer, it's it's a roguelike, so you're you're controlling your your girl dance dancer, uh, uh, necro diver, whatever you want to call her, and she is, um, you know, it's 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 like a traditional role playing game in in a sense. Um, you pick up items, and everything is very clearly communicated. So you know, you see an item, you 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 step on that item, you pick it up. It's it's very reduced to the the, the core basis of what makes a game a game. But you can control it with a dance pad. So I'm, I'm also thinking that this might be a great opportunity for weight loss. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how hard or easy it would be to play it with a DDR pad. It's definitely harder. There's an easy mode specifically for the, the, the users of the DDR dance pad. But that's the idea is that I'd want to work up to get to the point where not only can I play it on normal, but also eventually get to hardcore mode. Because this is this is a very very deep game and, and there's a commitment. The Steam Early Access is a way of saying there's a commitment to developing more and more more dynamic content for this game. It's got a soundtrack that's really hooky. It's made by Danny Baranowski, the guy who did uh, oh, yeah, yeah, the yeah, Binding yeah. of Isaac and a ton of other games. Super um, Meat so, Boy is the one I remember. Right, 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 right. Um, so it's 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 just got a it's just got a really great great hook and 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 a vibe that just carries through and and. and so in short, I do think that this is a game that I could play for a long time, and that will warrant a DDR dance pad just to play. <laughs> I mean, of course, we'll, we'll play we'll, we'll play this game in, in game cell at some point and see if if we can do it. It also has co op, so I, I I'm ha- I'd half consider getting a, a second one. But I'm sure I'm sure like I wouldn't be able to get Jess or anyone anyone into playing this game with me consistently. That sounds like a recipe for disaster. <laughs> it, it does sound like a recipe for disaster, but um, that's how it was played at PAX East last year. This yeah. year, rather, I saw um, it and I was like, I don't know if I want to try this or not. <laughs> right, and and that's the question is whether or not that is going to be the first way you want to play. It's probably not the first way people want to play the game, yeah. but once you get into the mindset of of the 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 the, the, the uh, dungeon crawl uh, roguelike mixture of things, um, and it's just a really well done roguelike. Like there's there's a ton of the closest roguelikes that I can compare it to would be like uh, Cardinal Quest, um, which was. Uh, uh, very very traditional in its function, but still very much about the the basic tactics of where do I put my guy in relationship to the enemies, and how do I get an edge in on them, and how do I just stay alive? Huh. So yeah, that's that's Crypt of the Necrodancer. I'll have a lot more to say about it um, over time. I'll definitely have a write up, uh, uh, an impressions thing about it on on Plus Ten Damage. I've got a couple DDR dance pads hanging around. So do you have a USB one for PC? No, I have PS2 ones. Okay. So if you um, got an adapter like that, that would actually work too. Yeah. I'm, you can I'm, buy an adapter. It's like five bucks. Five bucks. Yeah. Well, I'll I'll, uh, I'll have to ask you if you don't want if you want to sacrifice one of them for <laughs> if 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 I get the, the the dance pad and I'm like I need a partner. Yeah. Well, it I depends need... on what kind of DDR dance pad you want too. Yeah. That that's what I'm finding is that like I, I just want one that doesn't slip so I can put it on my carpet. Yeah. And and dance on it. Um. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know enough. Considering I've never gotten into any other games that have used one. Um, yeah, and the ones that say non-slip usually do slip. So <laughs> yeah, that, that could be a problem. You gotta but find the one with the foam pads inside of it. 
Okay. Yeah, those um, are the best ones. All right. Well, I'll, I'll I'll have to second guess my purchase on that. The the uh, there's actual Crypt of the Necro Dancer dance pads you can get that are actually like hard hard materials. So they're very huh. very sturdy, uh, but also very expensive. Yeah. Um, and go for about three hundred dollars a pop, which is not in my uh, imagination. The ones um, that were made of steel that kind of look like the original arcade cabinet usually break super easy. Oh really? Yeah. So. It depends on what the build quality is. Yeah, so that's 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 something that I'll have to I'll have to keep in mind. Um, I mean, I'm I'm only I'm only will like I'm willing to maybe get the thirty dollar non non slip ones just because I think it, it'll be worth trying out and seeing if it's worth you know a, a deeper investment. I know that might not be the best way to do it, but I don't. Yeah. I, I'm not completely convinced that I'm going to be able to stick with it because I know myself. Um, <laughs> I don't think you want any of mine. I stomped them out of existence. <laughs> so, <laughs> no problem. But uh, yeah, so that's that's one game that that I would that I would highly recommend anyone picking up. Um, as of right now, um, even though it's Steam early access, it's very very complete roguelike. Um, probably like fifteen bucks. I forget exactly how much it is. Uh, then uh, the other one that I really really like is is a little cheaper. It's ten dollars. It was a PlayStation Vita game first called Ali Ali. Um, it is uh, best described as a descending skateboard game. That's it's a down down downhill ish skateboard game. You're not actually heading downhill. You're just progressively going falling down steps, railings, things along those lines. Oh, and the ollie, the ollie. Game, okay, okay. Yeah, yep, and yep. and the game is all about uh, getting a really good run in. It has uh, a lot of the charm that originally made uh, like Tony Hawk's Pro Skater really compelling. But it's a 2D side-scroller with uh, an auto-runner start. So you kind of like start at the top of the hill and you start running. You hit, hit A once to go. And then after that, you need to rely on your sticks, your, your left stick, to push off to Ollie or, or to nose Ollie or whatever your, your starting trick move is. And then you slam down on the stick to grind. So it has a very natural skateboarding kind of feel to the actual mechanics of it. And your precision is what matters the most. So there's a lot, there's a ton of room for failure. It's a very challenging game, but the soundtrack persists the whole way through your run. So even if you, if you hit the retry button, there's not a button, but if you, if you hit retry, you hit the menu and go to retry and start, start the run over again, the song persists hotline Miami style. And so it has, it's, it's published by devolver, but made by another, by, by mode seven. No, not, uh, I forget, Roll Seven is the name of the, the developer, I believe, and it, it still has a certain level of a Hotline Miami feel for me personally. The the mindset that I got into Hotline Miami, which is like fill you up with adrenaline, the music keeps going, and you just keep get, you just keep trying until you get the run right, uh, or do it the way that you want to. And there's always objectives like you know get a get a move, do a, yeah. a a trick line that that gets forty thousand points or whatever. So it's it's point driven, it's action driven, it's very arcadey in nature. Can you get in, like you can, a, a full combo like throughout the entire run you do or there's no there's no nose manuals so you can't link moves like you uh, could in Tony Hawk in that sense Yeah that was um, the last one I played Tony Hawk 3 with the manuals Yeah yeah the manuals were a really great great way to link things through the Tony Hawk games and I, actually there might be that but I haven't found that cuz honestly like you just really want to get a good landing and you need you want you want to make sure cuz if you don't land something well it's really punishing like if you if you have like a, a forty thousand point move racked up and you've been perfectly timing your landing on the rails, if you press down at the just the last second before you hit the rail, you get a, a perfect grind. And if you 
hit the the A button just before you land, you get a perfect landing. But if you don't, if you if you get a, a sketchy, you lose a lot of point, or you you lose maybe like ninety percent of your points. So uh-huh. yeah, so it, it, whether or not you do the perfect landings really, really, really very directly affects your point your points in it. Very similar to like traditional skating. Like if you're seeing a guy who's actually skating on a on a, on a on a course, a landing is what really defines the quality of the trick. Um, huh. Or, or, or whether whether or not you yeah. can stick it, like a lot of people can pull off a, a kickflip, but whether or not you can land it is another thing altogether, and whether or not you can land it well is even more important. So I'm not I'm not into skating, I'm not into skate, I'm not into sports games, um, but this one really does it for me. This this is something that I've been able to just pick up and, and really really get into, um, and it just has a very fast arcadey feel because it was originally designed for mobile or for, yeah. for Vita, so it has that pick up and play. I can play this for a little bit, put it down. I got th- I got two minutes. I can get in. I can get in maybe two, three runs in two minutes, and I can go on about my life. So it has this like um, low co- low commitment but high high risk reward gameplay. Yeah, it sounds like a high skill ceiling sort of game. Right, right. Yeah, I'm only on the second the second set of, of maps, and I'm 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 very very much being challenged. I'm probably like three hours in, and if you if, for a person who's experienced, they could probably already have finished the game within an hour. Um, but it's huh. it's a matter of you're constantly developing your skills and learning how to how to get more points with your tricks and how to hold hold your your bumper buttons to get the the uh, the modifiers to your tricks and it's it's uh like I said it has that same charm that Tony Hawk originally did yeah except in it, 2D <laughs> except in 2D and in an entirely downhill uh, run that makes the, the the charm of it just it's it's just really tight it's a tight little pixelated game huh. sounds interesting <laughs> yeah yeah I, I i'd recommend it to anybody on steam or vita and those are the only two systems it's on or or distribution platforms as we as, say nowadays uh, yeah no, that's, that's a really good point but i do believe so um wow that's surprising <laughs> yeah it's well i mean it just it just came out on steam uh shortly a little while ago like um it's also on uh, Mac and Linux and uh, PS4 is what they're saying. I don't know. Actually, the PS4 release date is to be announced. <laughs> TBA, yeah. PS3 and PS4 are both TBA. So yeah, we're back into the age of exclusives. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, to some degree, I mean, this it's um, honestly, I would say like if I was a developer of this game, I would definitely focus on, cause this is like the perfect game for Vita. Like it just really, really is the kind of game that it, it plays directly off of the, the, the analog sticks. You, you want to have a controller for this. It's not something I haven't even considered trying it on without, um, a control controller support on PC. So I would, I don't even know if you can play it without a controller. Huh. So that's what I've been playing and okay. that's all I've got to really say. Get the is there a new Tim Rogers game for the Vita? I can't remember what it's called. You mean video ball? No, about the dog. The what? dog that ascends the ladders. I can't remember what this is called. I have to tell you about this because I know you have a Vita. <laughs> no, I don't have a or Vita. Or you That's... play a Vita at least. No, I haven't actually I, I haven't actually played a Vita. Oh goodness. Um there is so... one though about a dog who ascends a tower. I can't remember what it's called. It's not on it's not on um it's not on his website. Uh, action button entertainment. I'm only seeing 10 by 8 ziggurat and tennis. I'm not even seeing video ball. Yeah, what is it called? I'm gonna find the name. Where? Yeah, Tuffy the Corgi in the Tower of Bones. 
Whoa, that sounds awesome. Yeah, let me... Tuffy the Corgi. <laughs> and the Tower of Bones. It's on PlayStation Mobile and Vita, so... T-U-F-F-Y. Yes. <laughs> out now. Came out came out July 25th. <laughs> this this looks fantastic. I that's the that's the thing like who who in their right mind has has uh uses PlayStation Mobile. Um I know yeah. that, <laughs> I know. Right? I, I feel terrible saying that. I mean, I do know that there's there there has been a lot of great contributions especially from Tim Rogers um and and a couple of others um but the 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 PlayStation Mobile was a great ambition, but I don't think that Sony really got behind it. Um and, and and it mostly when you say PlayStation Mobile, what you really mean is cheap games on Vita. <laughs> um, but not this one. This one is yeah. Tuffy the Corky. Yeah, it does look cool. Um, but yeah, so um, one one day I might I might get a Vita. I don't know. Actually, I'm, I'm I think that quite quite honestly, I, I will get the PlayStation TV because our our Roku in our bedroom really sucks, and being able to have a, a PlayStation TV in our bedroom and being able to pull things off of the PS3. What well, actually can you pull? I'm not sure if you can pull things off of the PS3. But you can use Netflix PS4. on it, so. But you can you yeah. can use Netflix <laughs> on it, and you can play some Vita games. And I have I have some Vita games thanks to PlayStation Plus, um, and have never actually played any of them because I don't have a Vita. Hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. The Vita just doesn't seem like something I need. Right, right, and that's and that's the core the core issue, is that it's 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 a a, a great concept, but um, whether or not it's something that that denotes necessity is. Yeah. Yeah, like I'd like to play Soul Sacrifice or you know stuff like that, some yeah, weirdo yeah, yeah. things. But it's like I don't want to spend almost three hundred. Tearaway is really high on on my list. Yeah, and there, there's a ton of great cross play games that like I think would be much better to play on Vita than on on, on uh, the PS3. Yeah, I just don't um, want to spend three hundred dollars on a portable console. To be quite honest, well, I think it's I think it's you can get everything that you need for under two hundred dollars now. Really? Um, yeah, I mean. I, I think maybe, I get maybe a 3DS not the hundred the hundred gig hard drive or, or uh, a hard chip SD card SD card yeah um, <laughs> something anyway. or other anyway we need to wrap this up yeah. so well I'd rather guys. get a 3DS first that's what I'm gonna say <laughs> yeah that's true I mean I've I've, I've had a three I've, I borrowed a 3DS and I, I liked it and I was like all right this is great I wish I had a Fire Emblem I'll just play the demo four <laughs> times the whole way through um, and savor it and and maybe one day I'll actually own one. Um, one but, day, yeah, one day. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're gonna stop this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, wrapping things up. Uh, I don't really know that there's any way to wrap wrap things back up to our, our subject of testimonies and no, I think games, we're off but, track um, now. I think I, th- I think I think we're we're in in La La Land, and that's completely all right <laughs> because that's a part of our that's a part of our story, Zachary. It's, it's a part um, of what we're due. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, and, and for my last thoughts, I would like to say Tuffy the Corgi looks very cute, and I will probably never play it because it's not on a platform I own. Yeah. And if you would like to get in touch with us, uh, join the Theology Gaming University on Facebook, and um, you could even go on to uh, iTunes and give us a a five uh, a five point one rating. Um, which is which is uh, a little bit extra. We we like that extra point. If you can find a way to do it for us, that would be very important. Or four point nine, it rounds up. We'll be all right. If they um, allow such things. No, no. That, that, just try it. Just try it. That's all I got to say. Um, more importantly, um, yeah, we we love you, that you guys are listening to the show, and we hope that you like it. And um, 
tell your mom. Um, I, I, I'd, I'd love. <laughs> I'd tell love your to mom. Have, yeah, sure. Yeah, I'd love to have more moms listen to the show, especially like like my mom's age. Like, I think that that would create a much more uh, robust uh, audience experience for the theology gaming podcast. Or, um, you know, just you know, do what you're doing, and that's fine too. <laughs> theology gaming. <laughs> Call your mom. Yeah. Call your mom. Tell her to listen to the podcast. Um, that's that's my official recommendation, and uh, I love you guys. <laughs> <laughs> so inexplicable. What does it mean? <sighs> um, okay, we got to sign out here. So that's it, Zach. you got to close us out. Yep. Yeah. All right. Uh, the I'm handing back podcast. to you your dictatorship. Theology Gaming Podcast. If you like what you heard, give us ratings. If you want to talk to us, go to Theology Gaming University Facebook group and ask for an invite and such. Because I'm a dictator and I have to approve everything. <laughs>